In our studies in Hebrews chapter 11, we have reached verse 31. Hebrews 11 and verse 31. By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. And we read all about that in Joshua chapter 2 and then those verses in chapter 6. What happened to the Canaanites in Jericho was what God had commanded should happen to all the Canaanites in the promised land. That is that they should be uh, completely exterminated as a, as a variety of peoples. Um, some would say, uh, using 21st century PC ethics, that that would be entirely wrong for God to do. But we need to understand that God had given centuries of warning to the Canaanites for the kind of practices that they engaged in. If you want to know what practices they were, I'm not going to read this out tonight, but you've only got to glance into Leviticus chapter 18 and to see the various kinds of sexual perversion that the people of Israel are forbidden to do and to realize that these were the exact practices of the Canaanites. And the reason that the Israelites were warned about it was because they were near neighbors of the Canaanites and were not to absorb their morals. But the Canaanites had had many warnings, uh, both in redemption history and in various events, not least uh, what happened with Abraham and his battle with the kings that's recorded in Genesis 14. And in Genesis 15, way back in Genesis 15, God makes it clear that the Canaanites, or the Amorites as he calls them, he says, in the, in the fourth generation they shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. In other words, God was waiting. He was patiently waiting for them to repent, to change their ways, but they didn't. And so that moment came when God, who is intensely holy and pure, did as he said he would do, and that was to punish their sin. And he did it, we might say, in an Old Testament way, because this was the particular way he was working in the world up to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. However, not everyone in that city of Jericho, which was like in the early stages of the conquest of Canaan, not everyone there was put to the sword. We learned from Joshua 2 that Rahab and her family were saved. There were a few, even among the Canaanites, who did turn to the Lord. And Rahab and her family and her relatives were saved from what we might call the city of destruction from Jericho. Now in Hebrews chapter 11, we have been going through various people who by faith accomplished various things uh, and, and knew God's blessing. And that is the great lesson of Hebrews 11. It is 
through faith uh, that God is pleased. This is how we approach God. We approach him as beggars, as bankrupts, as unable to supply anything good in ourselves, and our trust is in him and in his resources and above all in Christ. And we've been seeing how this chapter gives to these um, fearful and doubting Christians, uh, these Jewish Christians to whom the Hebrews letter is addressed, how it is giving them all these examples to encourage them to continue in the life of faith. And we come to Rahab. And it's interesting to notice that she's not the only woman in this chapter. There's also Sarai or Sarah. And indeed there is a general statement in verse 35. Women receive their dead raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they may obtain a better resurrection. We don't know whether those others were men or women or both, probably both. But clearly, amongst this galaxy of people, there are women as well as men. And it is a reminder to us of a very basic Christian truth, which is that uh, with God what matters is faith in Jesus Christ. That there is no discrimination with God. Uh, As the scripture says, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And we mustn't certainly misread or misunderstand what is being said there. God does not abolish gender, which he created. But what it means that in terms of gender, male and female are equally sinful and can equally be saved and can equally be full members of the church of our Lord Jesus Christ through faith in him. That's what it's saying. And here is Rahab. And let's just consider a few things about Rahab, particularly in the light of Joshua 2. And the first thing we'll see is, uh, and it's very obvious because the writer is not allowing us to think in any other terms, we realize that she was not saved from the city of destruction because she was just a, a bit less sinful than the other Canaanites. She was not saved because as God looked at the lives of all these various people, these thousands of people inhabiting this strong walled city, here's a family who, not quite as bad as the rest, so we'll have mercy upon them. The scriptures do not in the least allow us to think like that because again and again, not quite every time, but most times she is mentioned in the Bible, she is called the harlot. She was an immoral woman. And that reminds us that salvation through Jesus Christ is not on the basis of whether or not you're just a bit less sinful than everyone else. Salvation is, in fact, what God brings to sinners. In Luke's Gospel, we read about the call of Matthew, the tax collector, as one of the disciples of Jesus. Uh, He's called Levi, actually, in this passage. And Jesus says to Levi, sitting at the tax office, follow me. And we read that he left all, rose up, and followed him. Then Levi gave him a great feast in his own house, and there were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them. And their scribes and the Pharisees complained against his disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? 
Jesus answered and said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, one of the uh, American commentators, modern commentators, uh, speaks about this. He says, and this is the sort of uh, church application, as it were, of this. He says, we say we can't have that. The church is only for respectable, clean, middle-class folks. But that is like saying the hospitals are only for doctors, nurses, and x-ray machines instead of sick people. Or it is like saying the only morticians only morticians and coroners belong in morgues instead of dead people. Who then should be in the church but sinners? The church is not a club, but a refuge for sinners who have been touched by the grace of God. That's right. She wasn't saved because she was less sinful than the rest. It's because she was a sinner that God decided to save her. And that is exactly how God deals with us. If you're not a sinner, you needn't bother to apply to Jesus Christ for salvation. If, you're not, if you don't recognize that you're a sinner, then you're not ready for the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ because he came to call not the righteous but sinners to repentance. He's like a doctor and the doctor goes to the sick. The doctor doesn't go to those who are well, he goes to those who are sick. And of course, that's a very basic lesson, and it's the lesson that, that we have to learn, that um, we are sinners. And one of the great truths that the Apostle Paul uh, brings, particularly in his letter to the Romans, he spends several chapters as he writes to the Roman Christians and explains to them the gospel, explains to them what the good news is. And you might think, well, he's going to get straight to Jesus Christ dying on the cross for sinners. And what that means, he doesn't do that. He spends chapters explaining how everybody, whatever their background, whether Jews or Gentiles, whatever their background, whether of a church background or non-church background in our terms, that they're all guilty, that whatever law we live by, whatever code we might live by, we have broken it. And he comes to that conclusion. We have charged that both Jews and Greeks, that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. So Rahab is an example and an encouragement to us to each one of us, that there's salvation even for you and for me. But secondly, notice, although she wasn't saved because she was less sinful or more earning it, deserving it, but she was saved by faith, by faith in God. She was saved by faith. She, she explains in verses 9 to 11 of this chapter that she had heard about this God this God of the Israelites, who uh, initially they may have thought of was some sort of local deity tied to the land or, or to the people of Israel there in Egypt, but now they realize, she realizes that he is the God of heaven above and earth beneath. He is the God of everybody. It's not just the God of Britain or America or Africa or even of Israel. 
as a, as a particular political entity. He's the God of everybody. He's the God of heaven and earth. And she says, the terror of him has fallen upon us. And how has this happened? Well, they'd heard how the Lord had dried up the waters of the Red Sea and how they had gone through the waters to get out of Egypt and how God had delivered powerful kings into their hands, Sihon and Og. They'd heard these things and they realized that they were up against not some local deity, some animistic pagan uh, being, but they were up against the eternal and almighty God. And again, we have to say that this is a very basic lesson that we need God's help to get across to our friends and neighbors and families and the people of this country, that there is a God in heaven and he's far greater than America or Britain or any other nation. He is far greater than the United Nations or any other organization. He is the eternal and almighty God and we are all owing him allegiance. But she was saved by faith in this God. And she was safe the moment she believed in this God. And we don't know just exactly when that moment was, but we know it had occurred by the time she gave that message to the king of Jericho when he came or through his men came looking for the two spies who had come uh, into Jericho to spy out the land to spy out the strengths and the weaknesses and the, the morale of the place, and she had hidden them. And the writer to the Hebrews makes clear that what she did there was an act of faith. By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. At some point, her heart had gone out in a cry for mercy to this great God who had judged uh, Egypt and who had judged Sihon and Og, those kings. And at some point she had trusted in this God. She realized that he was a God of mercy because, as she says later in this chapter, uh, she, she asks for God to have mercy upon her family. Now, therefore, I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you will also show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token and spare my father, my mother, my brother, my sisters, and all that they have and deliver our lives from death. And notice what she's convinced of. She's convinced that he is a God to be feared, a God of holy judgment, who had done acts of judgment, and it's in the light of that, she says, I, I, I'm looking to him as a God of mercy. So different, isn't it, from the way in which people think God ought to be. They start off, well, he's, God is love. If they believe in God at all, God is love. He's a God of mercy. But that means nothing if there's not a reason to have mercy, if there's not a, not a reason to plead for mercy. Why should I plead for mercy if I do not fear and esteem and tremble at the presence of a holy God who must judge sin. What's the point of a rainbow unless there's a black cloud behind it? The rainbow would not appear if it were not for the black cloud, the thunder clouds behind it. Mercy means that there's a reason for judgment. 
But of course, mercy can triumph over judgment. And so she's saved by faith in this God. And this woman, this immoral woman, or immoral up to the point where she is converted to this God, this immoral woman is now in the company of people like Joseph in Hebrews 11. Remember Joseph? Verse 22, we learn about Joseph. That when he was dying, he made departure, mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. But do you remember his life? His life was a life of purity. That when Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him, he said, I can't do it. He said, I, I, I fear the God of Israel. I cannot do it. And here is this woman with her background, and she's brought into the same company, the same esteemed and glorious company by this God of mercy. And incidentally, she does illustrate to us, we were thinking of this this morning, how in many ways things that happen in the Old Testament are an anticipation of a pointer to what is going to happen in these days, these gospel days. She is an illustration of God's intention if eventually to send his gospel into all the world and to save people outside of Israel. And that's what happened with the coming of Jesus Christ. This gospel has gone into all the world. And here you have an example of a Gentile being called into the kingdom of our Lord Jesus. Someone who's, as Paul says in Ephesians 2, someone who was far off, that is far off in terms of privilege, far off in terms of understanding or of any kind of knowledge of these things being called, being brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. So she was saved by faith. And my friends, each of us can be saved by faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. But thirdly, let us notice a point which the scriptures also note about her. Yes, she was saved by faith, but the letter of James in chapter 2 makes clear that the reality of her faith was shown by her good works, by what she did. You see, it's easy to say, oh yes, I believe. You know, you get a form asking you, uh, for the census, things about yourself and what's your faith, what's your religion. You say, well, I'm a Christian. It's easy to say, I believe. But the Bible tells us that true faith, real faith, issues forth in good works. It's not the other way around. It's not saying that by being good or doing good, you thereby become a Christian, a true believer, what it is saying is if you are a true believer, that will issue forth in good works. The root of faith produces the fruit of good works. And in James chapter 2, verse 25, the writer here says, Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? There are many people who can say that they are Christians and believers, but you look at how they treat their spouse, you look at how they treat their children, you look at what they do with their, the ethics of their work life, you look at how they speak to people, you look at how, what they don't do, 
and you say, well, God alone knows their heart, I don't know their heart. But is there a real faith here? Is there a living faith? Has God done something in this person's life? Is the Holy Spirit present? Or is it all like plastic flowers? It's a sham. Not in Rahab's case. The reality of her faith was shown by what she did with the spies. Oh yes, she'd had a very colourful life, no doubt, up to that time. And her place on the city wall probably was just the place where harlots were at that time. But things are going to be different now. But notice next, her faith was in Christ. Now, I haven't got any explicit proof of that. But I think there are some indications that even though she lived before the coming of Christ, in in effect, her faith was in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is God, God the Son. Firstly, she, uh, she, she had these instructions from the spies that if she was to be saved, there were conditions. The conditions were this. The, you're going to let us down from the window, down from the city wall to escape with a scarlet rope. Now, what you are to do is this. You're to leave that scarlet rope in the window. You're to leave it there. Once we attack, you're to make sure that that scarlet cord is there in the window, visible. And what's more, nobody is to go out of your house who you want to save. You just to stay inside the house. You say, well, how does that speak of Jesus Christ? Well, if you know your Bible, you'll know that this is very reminiscent of the Passover, of that time when God judged the Egyptians. It's recorded in Exodus chapter 12. And you'll know that the instructions were like this for the Israelites. I won't go into the matter of the lamb and and so on, what they were to do with the lamb, but just to, to remind you that on that night of the Passover, they were told, you will only be safe If you take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood, the blood of the lamb, and strike the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that's in the basin, and none of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to strike you. So the angel comes, the angel of the Lord And he sees the scarlet blood. But they're inside the house and they're safe. And that scarlet blood, as we know, that red blood is just pointing forwards to the blood of Jesus Christ who cleanses us from our sins. That sacrifice is just a type. It's just an anticipation of that coming sacrifice of Jesus Christ at the coming of Christ, at the incarnation of Christ. And here is Rahab, and it's so similar. You, could, you, can't, you can't say this is a coincidence. It's so similar. There is a scarlet cord, and there's, to, uh, there's a need to stay in the house, in that place of safety. Surely there are echoes of the Lord Jesus Christ in this. And we know from the whole teaching of the Bible, even if there weren't even that particular clue, we know from the whole teaching of the Bible that there is, that every blessing 
comes to us and every mercy and every forgiveness comes to us because of the work of Christ as our Saviour 2,000 years ago when he shed his blood on the cross for us and when he rose from the dead for us. And we know that we're justified by faith in him. Romans chapter 4 says this, but to him who does not work but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. It doesn't say blessed is the man who is sinless because there's no sinless. What it says is blessed is the man to whom God imputes righteousness. And he does it without their works. He does it without them doing anything to earn it. He does it simply as the gift of faith. It's being justified by faith. So a prostitute can be amongst that company. A homosexual can be amongst that company. A transvestite or whatever can be amongst that company. A thief, a murderer can be amongst that company. And you can talk to people who work uh, for the Lord in prisons in our country and they will tell you that every now and then there are people of such backgrounds or at least as far as the criminal law is concerned who come to faith in Jesus Christ and the past is blotted out. Her faith was in Christ. Whose faith is yours? Who, who are you trusting in? Are you trusting in the fact that you're not as bad as everybody else? Because that's not faith in Christ, that's faith in yourself. But notice next that those who were killed in Jericho on that day were lost through unbelief. That's exactly what our text says. It says this, she did not perish with those who did not believe. Why was that? Well, because they had heard exactly the same news as Rahab. They'd heard it. It was all over the place, what God had done to the Egyptian army, how he had drowned Pharaoh's chariots and horses in the Red Sea, what he had done through his people to the kings, powerful people, feared people. It was all over the place. They knew that. And she said... She said, actually, everybody has been terrified. Everyone's been frightened. But not everybody had taken the next step, which was to call on him and trust in him and believe in him. No, they didn't want to do that. Why was that? Because they had lifestyles at stake. Leviticus chapter 18, the Canaanite way of life. They didn't want to change. So their active unbelief was in fact reinforced by a desire to live for their own sinful agenda. And am I describing the people of, of our nation? Sadly, I am in many cases. And there will we all be but for the grace of God. The next thing we need to note about Rahab is this. However bad your past, before you became a Christian, the Lord can do great things through you. I didn't quote all of what Dale Ralph Davis said 
about Rahab. He says, yes, the church is not a club, but a refuge for sinners who have been touched by the grace of God. Apparently, Rahab's past did not bother the writer of the first gospel. Rather, Matthew seemed to see in Rahab a trophy of divine grace. Astounding, isn't it, that the shady lady of Jericho should be the ancestress of Jesus, the Messiah. And then he gives a a quotation or a reference, Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. And if you look into the genealogy, the family tree of Jesus, you find that Salmon begat Boaz by Rahab. And Boaz begat Obed by Ruth, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David the king, and so on. And all the way down to Jesus. In other words, this woman became the mother of Boaz, the great-great-grandmother of King David, and an ancestress of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. However bad your past, the Lord can do great things through you. And this leads us to a lesson for all of us, particularly for Christians, that people with a past like Rahab's must be welcomed in Christ as believers. People with a past like Rahab's must be welcomed in Christ as believers. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says to the church at Corinth. He says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? So it's not a case of saying, well, yes, it doesn't really matter what your lifestyle is. God still loves you. You can carry on being like that. God still loves you. He says, do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. That's what the Holy Spirit says. Whatever the laws of various nations says, that's what God says. And then he says, and such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified, In the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God, he's saying, you Corinthians, I know there's been a revival at Corinth. I know God has much people in that city. I know there's a a vibrant church there. You've got various problems and mistakes, but I know there's been a work of revival. And some of you are from those kinds of backgrounds. You were temple prostitutes. You were male prostitutes in temples as well as female prostitutes but God has saved you God has washed you God has sanctified you and then he goes on to say effectively you are one in Christ Jesus you're one body and you're to love one another as one body you're to welcome one another people with a past like Rahab's must be welcomed by the church of Jesus Christ as they come to faith in him Their sin must not be welcomed. There's a verse in Jude which says we're to hate the garment spotted by the flesh. That's a reference to what they were to do with lepers in the days of Moses. That even 
the garments that were contaminated with the infection of leprosy were to be burned. And there is a moral infectiousness which, which we are to be very careful about because of the sin in our own hearts, which can be stimulated. Yes, we're to hate even the garments spotted by the flesh, but nonetheless, such were some of you, but you've been washed, but you've been sanctified, you've been justified. Welcoming Christ, welcoming Christ. Perhaps we need to realize again that actually we all have a past like Rahab's. I don't mean literally, but there's a sense in which we do because our thought life, our thought life, our imaginations put every single one of us in the category of Rahab. I wonder if you find that an insulting statement. But I'm only speaking because the the Bible says this. Listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew in chapter 15. He says this. It isn't what goes into the stomach, into the mouth and the stomach, which defiles somebody. I'm paraphrasing there. But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart and they defile a man. For out of the heart, that is the thought life, proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. I always say that this is just being extreme. This is extreme stuff. But wait a minute. Have you ever analyzed your thought life? Have you ever thought about what you think about And you know nobody else can see what you think about. Listen to what the prophet Jeremiah says. He says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? In other words, we can be Pharisees and say, well, I'm not like that. But wait a minute, what about your thought life? But take courage, dear friend, because by faith the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. Let me close by telling you a story from church history. Some of you will have heard of the 18th century awakening in this country, the evangelical awakening, when vast numbers of people from all kinds of backgrounds were converted to Jesus Christ. And it wasn't just an awakening in this country, but it was one in America as well. And it started a little bit earlier in America. And it particularly started in the ministry of a man called Jonathan Edwards in Northampton, Massachusetts. And it's December 1734. And Edwards, who was the minister of what we would call today a congregational church or an independent church, He describes how he experienced, quote, a degenerate time with, quote, dullness of religion. And he says the young people of the community, it wasn't a vast community, perhaps a couple of thousand, something like that, were addicted to, quote, night walking, tavern drinking, lewd practices and frolics among the sexes for the greater part of the night. Family government did too much fail in the town. In other words, the Parents couldn't control the youngsters, and the youngsters were getting up to all manner of things. 
And then, apparently, two well-known young people died on timely deaths. Uh, and this had a remarkable effect on people. The kind of effect the pandemic does not seem to be having uh, very much in our country at the moment, but it had a remarkable effect on the outlook, the spiritual outlook of the community. And Edwards began to preach a series from the Bible on the subject of justification by faith alone. And he describes how in 1734, December, six young people were converted. And one of these young people, it was a young woman who he describes as, quote, one of the greatest company keepers in the whole town. Now, you can, company keeper was not a polite thing, okay? And her life was so radically changed that it became the talk of the town. And this news spread like wildfire. Uh, sorry, I got here actually the actual population because it says in the next six months, 300 out of the 1,100 population were converted. 25%, more than 25% in six months. Just put that into Ripon terms or Harrogate terms or Britain terms. God can do a work by faith the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. I want to ask you, are you converted? I mean you personally. Has God done a work in your heart? Have you realized that your heart is sinful? And have you realized it's so sinful that actually there's not a huge difference between Rahab and you or any other such person and you? And here is the God of the impossible. He takes a woman like that and he saves her. And faith deals with impossible situations. And that was one of the other things that the Hebrew Christians needed to be reminded of.